Thank you guys for, uh, for joining us tonight. It's always an encouragement um, when I see people coming alongside of me in my faith and joining me in, in just crying out those words, God, God, who wants you to show us how to live? I mean, that's a, that's a pretty bold statement. It, it means what we're saying there is, is I, I don't know how to live. I don't know how to possess my own vessel. There's, there's things that I'm doing that I can obviously see are causing me pain and causing others pain, and there has to be a remedy. There has to be hope. There has to be some way for me to overcome this. It's a radical cry. It's a radical thought. It's a revolutionary thought if we let it into our minds and into our hearts and just say, God, I, I want more of you. Tonight we're going to be talking about communion as we kind of finish up our, our Faith with Friends series. And uh, we, we were just thinking about it, you know, what better way to, to wrap up a series talking about what it means to be a fully devoted follower of Christ, what it means to be the body of Christ, than to come together and to, and to have communion. Communion is more than just a tradition. It's more than, than some kind of a ritual or something that you do to, to be a good Christian. It's not just a, a token thing. It's not just merely a symbol, but it's something that, that has a source and, and says that, that there's more to life and I want it. It's a battle cry. Sometimes against our, our own hearts. Sometimes against our own minds. Where we feel like we're deceived. Where we feel like the, the truth of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ has not been able to come in and, and transform us. And we say we want more. Communion is a, is a very intimate thing. It's not just about you and your relationship with God. It's not just about coming together as the body of Christ. But it's also the acknowledgement that, that God has saved us. He has called us into relationship. He calls us and gives us a purpose as a body to have a work in the world to build his kingdom. To go out to the lost and to find them and say, you are valuable. God wants you. I want you. Will you join us on a journey of seeking the love of God and experiencing the love of God? Communion is far more than just what is going to happen in this place tonight. Communion is a revolution for us. And my fear in this is that there's, there's going to be some of us that are in this room that, that might miss it. I, I could even miss it. I've had the, the opportunity to miss it three times already, and, I, and I've just had this the battle to be engaged and say, God, make this real. Make this, make this passionate. Make this a battle cry. Make this something that transforms me and not just speaks your words of truth in some disconnected way. Communion. Communion is, is this intimate thing. It, it, it's, it's basically trying to, to find the right questions, trying to ask the right questions to, to find out what's going on in our hearts and to give space for God to come in, to honor God and to say, God, your ways are higher than my ways. Your thoughts are higher than my thoughts and be able to humble ourselves, be able to step into that space of letting him lead us and guide us 
or even command us. They say, you are our father and we are your children. It'd be very easy for us to just kind of settle in and just be like, all right, Dan's got about another 27 minutes. I can, I can last that. And then we'll go over to Miller's, get, get a steak and some beer and have a good time. I know some of you got the plans to do that. It's all right. It's good. But don't get there yet because there is a feast right here in the word of God that is just waiting for us. There's a feast at that table, a feast of, of healing, a feast of passion. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul writes to us and, and he says, many of us are sick, many of us are, are poor. Some of you even you're even dead. You're even, what he means there is, is asleep. You're, you're spiritually just, you're present, but you're not awake. He said, you're, doing, you're, you're experiencing these things because you're not having this, this true communion with God, this true fellowship with God. You're, you're asleep and you're sick and you're, and you're poor because you're not letting God in to do the work that he wants to do. Communion is one of the greatest gifts, I believe, that, that Jesus has given us. Because there's, there's so many times in our life where we're just so busy and we go about our daily life and, we, and we're doing things, we're getting things done, um, but, we, but we don't really remember the Lord in all of them. And communion is a time for us to intentionally set aside and say, we are going to remember the work that God has done. It doesn't just have to happen in this space. You can have communion in your house, with your family, with your friends. There's no special, you know, pastoral privilege that goes with, with communion. There, there's nothing, it's just a symbol to be able to remember the body and the blood of Jesus Christ and be able to say, yes, I want more now and forever. Communion would be what God desires it to be, unbroken fellowship. I don't know exactly how all of these words are going to come out tonight or how you're going to receive them, but this I, I, I do want you to know is that it's going to come from love. That, that I do know. But sometimes love challenges, right? Sometimes love makes us see things that are going on inside of us and begs us and pleads with us or even forces us to either just run and hide again or to face what is going on and to reconcile our lives to Christ. This is the beauty that we have in communion. This is the awesome experience and the challenge that we have in communion. I don't want us to miss this, and I really would like to just kind of kick it off with just praying and just sitting before God and just asking Him to be with us. So let's pray. Lord God, Master, Savior, King, Sovereign, Most Powerful Being, Lover of our souls, Lord, I pray that you would just hear our cries, that you would hear our hearts, that we would hear your voice, your words of life tonight. Some of us sit in this space and that is how we approach you, Lord God. You're something distant, you're something powerful, but, but unknown. Lord, I pray that you would move us a step closer to intimacy tonight. That our relationship with you would be 
Father, Daddy, would you come and, and spend time with your children? We already know that the answer is yes. Would you give us a spirit of adoption and remove fear from our hearts? Would you come in and give us power and conviction and would you teach us and would you mold us and shape us so that we can be more like you, so that we can be healed? Father, would you grant that we would have faith in Christ? Would you give us the power to, to know the love of Christ, this unconditional love that, that surpasses all of the things that we can comprehend and all of the things that we can know and understand, Lord, that, that you would have your way in our hearts through this love. That we would be known by your love. Lord, would you give us the, the boldness to dare to hope that you would do exceedingly abundantly above all we expect or desire in our lives? Father, would you give us the strength to ask for healing? Every single one of us has a secret, Lord. Every single one of us sits in this place with some dark, hidden thing that we would never tell anyone, and yet you know it, and you still love us. Thank you. Thank you, Father. Lord, we pray that you would have your way in us, that you would speak, that the words that come out tonight would be your sweet voice wooing us, the beauty of your majesty and your glory would be known tonight. In the strong name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We're going to look at um, some slightly different scriptures tonight than what we maybe, what you might be used to in terms of, uh, in terms of communion. We're going to start out in Genesis chapter 2. As I was studying, I kind of came across what I'm just calling the, the parable of the trees. These things, this, this story that, that God gives us, this, this design that God has unfolded that we're going we're gonna to see it in Genesis and then we're going to jump to Proverbs and see some more of it in the book of wisdom and then we're going to jump all the way to the end of the Bible to Revelation and see this consistency and this hope and this truth of what God wants to offer us through this thing called communion. Communion is the, is the Greek word koinonia. It means love feast. It's, it's more than just uh, taking, taking a, a piece of, of cracker and, and taking a little bit of, of juice. It means fellowship. It means this, this intimate connection. We see it in the book of Acts where the, the church, the young church is coming together and they're having these feasts, they're having these meals, they're coming together and, and as they begin to just share love and care for each other, what happens is they see the needs that are going on in each other's lives and they just simply say, I can help with that. And so we read very clearly that no one had need. If it, was a, it was, if it was somebody that needed food, hey, I'll, I'll step in. Somebody that needs clothes, hey, I, I, got a, I got an extra pair of jeans you can have. Whatever it was that people would, would step in and, and take ownership of each other, take ownership of, of the body of Christ, take responsibility to care for each other and live out this glorious love feast. As they did this, they were experiencing the goodness of God. God created the world for good. If you read the first couple chapters of Genesis and we see this story unfolding where, where 
sovereign God in all of his persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is throwing stars out into space and molding a ball of fire to be our Son. Taking and shaping the earth and creating man. Making all kinds of beasts. And each time he made something, he said, it's good. And then he made man and he said, this is very good. God created to experience goodness. God created it to share goodness and to reflect his goodness. And then we pick up in Genesis chapter 2. It's on the front of your fridge fold or you can look in your Bible. It's also on the screens. Genesis chapter 2 starting in verse 8. Then the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east. And there he placed the man that he made. The Lord God made all sorts of trees grow up from the ground. Trees that were beautiful and that produced delicious fruit. In the middle of the garden, he placed the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The Lord God placed the man in the garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. And honestly, when I first started kind of reading through this and, and processing it, processing this when I years ago when I first heard the story kind of like what I heard was if you eat it I'm gonna kill you I think sometimes it's kind of the way that we relate to God it's this basis of fear instead of this basis of love and, and, and kindness but whatever motivates us also has to keep us maybe you've heard that in your in your relationships you know Guys and girls, you know, whatever you win the woman with, whatever you win the man with, you got to keep them with. You got to maintain those, those love letters. You got to maintain those little texts that I miss you. You got to keep up the flowers. You got to keep lavishing the love. You're not just fishing and once you got something on the line, you're done. No, it's, this, is, this is a perpetual love and that's what God's talking about. Well, he plants these, this garden and he lavishes his goodness and he pours out his grace and he creates an environment for true love to exist. And true love has to have an option, okay? True love can only exist where there is choice. And so God creates and he says, well, here, here, here you are, Adam. You're, you're in, the, in the Garden of Eden. And here's this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't touch it. And here's this tree of life. Okay? And, and up to this point, Adam has only known good. He is in unbroken relationship with God. He is hanging out with God in the cool of the day. He's not worried about humidity, rapid temperature changes. He is just enjoying the environment that God has created and loving and responding to God. It is good. But God says to Adam, here, this is what I've put inside of you. There's a part of you that you don't even know yet. You're not really aware of yet. It's this thing called sovereignty. You have the choice. You can continue loving me responding to me, letting me provide for and care for you. We can have unbroken fellowship or you can eat of this beautiful, delicious fruit. What will, what will you do? Because in order for you to truly know my goodness, you have to have an option. 
Well, we know the end of the story, right? Adam and Eve were deceived and then sinned. They were tempted and they, and they walked away because they took their eyes off of God. They did not remember the Lord. They were focused on something else, looking at another thing, a shiny object. And all of a sudden they find themselves, all right, everybody out of the pool. You're done. No more Garden of Eden. Get out of here. And when I first heard that, I was like, gosh, that's so harsh. Where's my God of second chances? And then I realized as God drove Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden and he puts a, an angel with a flaming sword to keep them out, that this too was a great example of the grace and the mercy and the love of my God. Because he said it's not okay for you now to go and eat of this tree of life and live forever in a state of depravity. Blows my mind. In this context, death is actually the most gracious thing that God can give us. And not only that, to put himself in flesh and to die for us so that we could again come to the tree of life and say, yes, I am yours and you are mine, my beloved, my God, my hope. That he would give us the opportunity to have a resurrection. We see in the story, we read about the Lord God. Whenever you see the Lord, L-O-R-D, in capital letters, it's the... It's the unpronounceable name of God. It's the personal name of God. Y-H-W-H. We throw vowels in there to make it pronounceable and we say things like Yahweh. Or maybe you've heard Jehovah. Or maybe you know it this way, even as we sang earlier in God's revelation to Moses. Moses saying to God, who shall I say sends me? Tell them that I am sends you. I am. I am the answer to every question. I, am, I have the answer to every problem. I have every purpose. I have every goal. I have every way that you need for life and godliness. I am. I'm it. And then God. It's Yahweh Elohim. Elohim is, is the plural form of God. It's the, I call it the communal name of God gives us a glimpse into the Trinity. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit working together in creation. This perfect dance of power and submission. This perfect communion. This perfect community. And as He makes man, He makes us in His image. He calls us and He sets a standard and says, now you have the opportunity to live in unity. Now you have the opportunity to live in this perfect dance of power and submission. That is the option you have. Or you can keep eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Adam and Eve, when they, when they ate, all of a the sudden they became aware of guilt. Hey, Adam, you're naked, man. Look who's talking, Eve. Go put on some fig leaves. Cover that thing up. You can laugh, it's okay. <gasps> Feeling this shame and settling for something other than bare nakedness before God. 
who sees all and who knows all anyway and is trying to cover up and trying to hide and trying to run away and trying to, to make do for themselves. And that's what happens with Adam and Eve. Now, how many times do we listen to the wisdom of the world? How many times do we go to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and, and take off a big hunk of fruit and we take a big bite and we focus on the issues more than the, in our platform, more than, more than building the kingdom of God? How many times do we put the, the cart before the horse and we speak about truth and justice when in our personal lives it's obvious that we don't care about God's justness? For us. Too many times we get deceived into thinking that we can rightly divide and be God's voice in the world and we can say what is right and wrong according to God when he has never given us that power. He is the one who judges hearts. This is what happens when we eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And I think sometimes we really just don't give enough reverence to our frailty. A lot of times we don't really understand just how desperate we are, just how needy we are, just how hopeless we are. Shows up in our lives all the time. I mean, certainly I can go to the freezer and grab half a gallon of ice cream and eat the entire thing and it should not affect me. Certainly I can work 70 hours a week and be able to maintain perfect relationship with my God and my wife and each of my three children and my friends and my family and care for them and be loving and, and be so filled with the gospel of Jesus Christ and the hope of the good news that when I meet people random or intentional on the street that I would be able to be a conduit of God's love and mercy even if they cut me off in traffic. Sometimes we we don't realize just how frail we are. Sometimes we don't give enough reverence to the fact of what God knows, that we are just dust. But still, through all of this, God is unfolding this story. Because his ultimate goal is to reinstitute family and community and unbroken fellowship with him and for us to come and eat from the tree of life. We'll see that in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 22. We see where, where God calls us to wash our robes and to come to him clean and to take the time to be intentional and to ask the right questions and say, God, have your way. God's design for us is to give us the access to this life, this tree of life. He shows that in Genesis and then he shows it again in Proverbs. Let's look at a few verses in, in chapter 3, starting in verse 18. This is by wisdom, the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, founded the earth. By understanding, he created the heavens. Wisdom is a tree of life to those who embrace her. Happy are those who hold her tightly. Proverbs 11, the seeds of good deeds become a tree of life. A wise person wins friends. Chapter 13, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a dream fulfilled is a tree of life. Chapter 15, gentle words are a tree of life. A deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. He gives us all of these pieces of what life should look. Come to the tree of life, and these are the things that are going to come forth in your life. Get wisdom. Do you want to be happy? Get wisdom. Do good deeds. Serve others. Win friends. Be friendly. 
stir up hope, create opportunity for dreams to be fulfilled, for, for hopes to be realized. Be gentle and make room for growth. Stop lying because it kills people's hearts. Be honest. All of these things that just speak of these words of life, this tree of life, and God is ever pointing to the tree of life and his everlasting design for us to have communion. The two trees, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life show us that we are made for freedom and for life. Too often we can settle for less than this abundance. On this journey, we, we obviously end up coming to the kind of the end of ourselves. In, this, in these heavy conversations where we, where we look at, at the depravity and we look at our struggle and we look at the things that we can't overcome, the things that, that we want and that we hope for and that we dream for and that yet inside of us we, we want to make them happen ourselves and we refuse to give them to God, it's in these places that the voice of God calling should be even louder should resonate even, even louder and, and, and we should come to this place where, where the tree of life is also the tree of redemption, the cross. Paul gives us some insight and some instruction about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. He says, the message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. The message of the cross is this promise of of salvation and redemption and, and abundant life is completely foolish for those that continue to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Think they can figure it out. Think that, that, that depth of life means finding out how the heart works or how the mind works. Depth of life comes from listening to the wisdom of God and letting Him point us and lead us by His Spirit. He continues and says, God chose the things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. God has united you with Christ Jesus. For our benefit, God made him to be wisdom itself. God made us right with God. Christ made us right with God. He made us pure and holy, and he freed us from sin. Therefore, as the scriptures say, if you want to boast, boast only about the Lord. The cross, this is, this is the tree of redemption. This is where we have the opportunity to really kind of ask and go a little bit deeper and, and try to find out what the right questions are. There's a story recorded in Mark chapter 10 where there's this, this blind beggar. His name is Bartimaeus and he's, he's sitting on the side of the road outside of Jericho and Jesus is approaching. And Bartimaeus hears that Jesus of Nazareth is coming and he begins to cry out, Jesus, Jesus, come and, come and heal me. Jesus, come, come and find me. Jesus, hear my voice. And the people around start telling him, hey, hey, Bartimaeus, just shut up, man. Don't you, don't you see? Oh, wait, you can't see. No, don't you understand that, that what, what's happening here is, is Jesus is ministering to the crowds, and the crowds are more important. And Bartimaeus, you're not important, man. 
And I'm here to tell you, you may think that you are not important and you may be blind Bartimaeus, but Jesus stepped out of the crowd to come to Bartimaeus and ask him a simple question, and it was this. What do you want me to do for you? May we hear this question. May this question sink into our hearts. May, may we understand that the voice of Jesus echoes to us. What do you want me to do for you? Maybe another way to say it is, how would you like to be healed? How would you like to be made whole? Sometimes I think that we forget that this is even the point. It's so easy for us to go about our lives and to be busy and to cope and to deal and to, and to try to just kind of make it and survive and find joy wherever we can, wherever we can make it. Find joy in, 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 a, in a ray of sunshine. And, and the Lord God wants to have communion and fellowship with us. He wants to dwell with us. He wants to be with us. He wants to inhabit us and will settle for surviving. Sometimes I really wonder if we even believe or if we even think about returning to innocence, about having a hope of, of being completely pure. Too often we're just caught up in our guilt and our shame and our pain, focused on what other people are doing to us or what we can't do for ourselves. And we just get so wrapped up in these places that we forget that what God offers us is wholeness and healing and life. And God says to Bartimaeus, what can I do for you? I heard somebody say once, uh, the systems in your life are perfectly designed produce the results that you're experiencing. What are you experiencing? What is your life designed to do? How are you spending yourself and what are you spending yourself for? Do you, do you find yourself anxious? Do you find yourself restless or sleepless or plagued with phobias, hopeless, lacking self-control? Do you find yourself emotionally detached? Or do people say you are? Do you find yourself spiritually disconnected? Are you willing to be hungry enough to say that that is not okay, that I'm done with that, that I hunger for more, that I long for more, that I want the tree of life, that I want peace, and that I want patience, and that I want self-control, and that I want gentleness and goodness, and I want kindness, and I want faithfulness, and I will not settle for less until that flows out of me like a river until I have the love of God in my heart. Sometimes I think we forget that this is even available, that this is even an option. I know I do. And this is what communion is meant to remind us, because in that moment of doubt, in that moment of guilt and shame, God radically and revolutionary proclaims that God is greater than our hearts. He who is in us is greater than the world. He who is in us is greater than our hearts. And he has not given us a spirit of fear, but he has given us a spirit of adoption, of peace of love and love and a sound mind. And he is here to ask you, will you be in communion with me? We're all worshipers. 
It's really just a question of who or what we're worshiping. And as we come to the table tonight, as we take the bread and as we, as we take the, the juice, rem, being reminded of the, of the body and the blood of Jesus Christ, that's going to be one part. We have to examine ourselves and we have to ask these questions. Uh, am I motivated more by my love for knowledge or by my desire for understanding or, or in my passion to do things for God than I am actually inspired by the revelation of Jesus Christ? We have to answer these questions. And that's one part. Next part is that we, as the body of Christ, that we look around and that we care for each other. You might know someone in here who is just broken, who's struggling, who's battling. And it is your job as a follower of Christ to reach out to them and to pray for them and to love them. It's what we must do in communion, but that doesn't, it doesn't end there. There's two trees here, and for some of you, that might be the, might be the tree of redemption. You might go there, and, and you might take a slip of paper, and you might write your name on it, and pin it to that tree and say, God, I don't even know you, but I know that, that you exist out there somewhere, and I feel like I'm just calling you Lord God, but I want to call you Daddy. And maybe you put your name up there. And maybe for some of you, that's the tree of life. And you'll take that piece of paper and you're going to write the names of people that God has put you in relationship with, people that he has entrusted to you to share the good news, to share of the hope that is in you, to invite them on a journey, to walk beside you as you seek to be a fully devoted follower of Christ. So the band is going to lead us we're going to have musical worship. We're going to examine ourselves. We're going to go to the table. There's plenty of time. There's no need to rush. Just, just take your time and get your heart right with God. The commitment when you put a name on, the, on those trees is this. That you will pray for that person every single day from now till Easter. That you will ask God to draw them into deep spiritual communion with himself. And then you ask God to give you the boldness to invite them on a journey of faith. The communion is not just about you, but it is about living out the same ministry that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ had. And that was that he was sent to a lost and hurting world that they too might find a great hope experience a great love Revelations 22 says this blessed are those who wash their robes they will be permitted to enter through the gates of the city and eat the fruit from the tree of life let's wash our robes let's ask the right questions let's see what stands in the way of our faith and let's go to God wherever you're at in one more step of intimacy with him and with each other Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much that you're God with us. Lord, I pray that you would just put in our hearts a vision of, of the things that are keeping us from you. Lord, that you would illuminate those, those secrets that are inside of us and we would understand that you look into the deepest part of our hearts and you're not afraid 
so we have no reason to be afraid. You look into the darkest places of our hearts and you still love us and you're never going to stop. And Lord, I pray that, that you would just give us courage, that we would boldly come to your throne of grace, Lord, that you would give us conviction that every single person in this room will take one more step closer to who you are. Lord, we ask that you would put people on our hearts, that you would convict us, that you would give us the boldness to pray and ask you to do a great work in their hearts and their minds. Help us to lead them. We pray that you would just hear our cries now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.